What is it like to divorce a narcissistic woman? Come find out on episode number 32 of the Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed podcast. Welcome back to the show. My name is John Nocklinger, the men's divorce planning coach. I'm a recovering divorce attorney and the founder and head coach of Divorce Shield, the only company exclusively devoted to training men how to plan for and crush divorce. You can find out more about us and join our men's divorce support community for free at thedivorceshield.com. Today, my guest is a divorced dad who goes by the name of Davocate which is dad and advocate put together. I think it's wonderful. And for the last five years, he's been fighting for his children with his ex-wife who just can't seem to get over the divorce. We're going to talk to him today about going through divorce, the impact that the divorce has on children, both while you're going through the process and afterwards, and try to learn some lessons that he learned along the way that we think will be able to assist all of you in going through what you're going through in your lives. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, I will add right now that um, he has a podcast, which we will put in the show notes, a link to, that I think will expand on a lot of the things we're going to discuss today. So I encourage you to go listen to it. It was very insightful in terms of a lot of the issues that people go through. So let's start at the beginning. You and your wife were married for how long? Uh, we were legally married for about 10 years, but we separated after about uh, seven years. <clears throat> All right. So when did you meet your wife and how did you meet your wife? Your ex-wife, I should say. So, uh, yeah. All right. So I met her about 16 17 years ago met, met at work yeah it was it was probably like most relationships it was great at the beginning you have this honeymoon period um and i know we're going to talk about it but the the narcissism uh, aspect um unbeknown to me at the time means that that honeymoon period is like a honeymoon period on steroids so it's all, it's great when you first meet someone you first get start going you know going out together it's um, it's exciting, and you know everyone knows what it feels like. It just feels great, doesn't it? But but imagine sort of that um, times ten or times a hundred. It feels like you've uh, found your your soulmate, your kindred spirit. Um, and so yeah, we we met, um, and I think within about three months she'd moved in uh, with me and my housemate. Um, he soon got fed up of that and we of course fell out and I chose my then girlfriend over my friend um, and I think yeah within about two years well within a year maybe maybe slightly more we bought a house and within two years we were married. Wow that was that's fast is this the concept of love bombing that I know you talked about on your podcast? Yeah absolutely so the th there's two there's two things going on there first thing is the love bombing so the love bombing is probably why you don't see it happening is because it's combined with that natural honeymoon period that you have when you first get into a relationship. So again, that love bombing is that 
on you know times 10 times 100 um and then they also narcissists move things on very very quickly um so things progress in your relationship super quick because it's a way of them intertwining themselves or you into their life really they're not intertwining into your life at all you are being drawn in to the bottom basically of a pyramid with them at the top um and they are they are making it so diff they're enmeshing themselves with you so you then it's very difficult for you to leave yeah so when did you start to have some suspicions that she was narcissistic well actually i didn't discover she was a narcissist i didn't even discover what narcissism was until about three years ago wow so it was um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, everyone, and, and I'll get, I'll put money on listeners of this podcast going, oh yeah, I know what narcissism is, and then I bet they don't because I didn't. Everyone hears that term; it's used a lot. Um, it's used a lot around your ex-president, um, and unfortunately, um, I think it's overused. So I think it's a it's a very very toxic personality disorder that is actually a lot more common than, than anybody probably realizes but it's also a very overused term which helps um which helps it be disguised or be more normalized i bet you've had plenty of clients walk into your office saying that they're um their ex is a narcissist when they're not actually um and it also doesn't help that narcissists use the accusation of being a narcissist as their own first line of defense so i yeah i didn't know what narcissism was so i i just had this extremely difficult person post separation that was impossible and and i started so i could tell you my experience of their behavior but i had no idea that was all of the stereotypical narcissistic traits and it wasn't until I got really burnt out in our second lot of legal proceedings and I went to see a therapist and while sat talking to her, she said, have you considered that she's a narcissist? And I went, oh, no, not really. And she challenged me and said, do you actually know what narcissism was? And because I went, yes, uh, okay, no. And she sort of started to talk about it. And that's that was like the light bulb moment where and, and anybody that has a, a narcissist in their life that they're aware of, once you look at the behaviours, it is a light bulb moment because they are completely patterned. Um, and you can, it's, you can you buy a book or on it or you even just look on Instagram or look on Google image search and look at the narcissistic behaviours and you will be able to pick them out if there's one in your life. Um, and so after that process, about three years ago, it all started to make everything made sense. Um, but it wasn't literally until we'd been separated. So I obviously left because I was aware of how unhappy I was. And I knew that something was wrong, but I didn't know why. And now I do. Did you have children with her? Yeah, we've got two two children. Um, I was going to say sadly. I don't mean that in a way like I wish I didn't have children. Um, but unfortunately, having children with a narcissist means that it is insanely difficult to, to separate yourselves from them. The only real way to deal with a narcissist is to go no, no contact, entirely cut them out of your life. You, you, can now, you can have no meaningful, no productive, no healthy relationship with one. 
Um, and the only way to truly separate yourself is to literally go no contact. Unfortunately, if you've got children, unless you're going to abandon them, you can't do that. So um, it, it is a, that's what makes it a constant struggle is you are, they thrive on being linked to you and having control over you. And if you've got kids with them, then they have a way of getting to you whenever they want to flip that switch. Yeah, for many, many years. So how old were your children when you separated? <clears throat> they were pretty young. They were about five and seven. All right. And so, uh, and how, how did they take you separating from your ex-wife? Um, to be honest with you, I think they, they dealt with it pretty well, to be honest. Um, I think they would have dealt with it better had it not have been um a source of control for my ex and a source of a, a way of punishing me in a way of her <clears throat> i guess exacting a slight amount of revenge so i wanted so when i when when i left i was um very clear that you know i was leaving so i wasn't happy i was not abandoning the children i wanted to you know i wanted to continue parenting in the way we had of, which was a very equal basis and um she was obviously unbeknown I didn't understand why she suddenly was so opposed to that I do now but but at the time and so she she refused to tell them and threatened me that if I told them what was happening she would take them away and all this kind of stuff and unfortunately because when this is this might you know sounds odd for a man saying this about a woman but because you are so fearful and so threatened and so controlled by them um you believe that that they will take your children away and and you believe that they can do that you will believe that that they have the power um and so you will you pretty much yeah will do whatever and so i went along with this ridiculous well we'll pretend that you're decorating this house around the corner and you've got to stay in it and she threatened me yeah that if I told them you know she would never forgive me blah 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 but actually what she did was she set the situation up where she packed all of my stuff up and pretty much threw it out the house and so it was all in this room in this house that they discovered and that's how they found out and I wanted to tell them just because actually I've said this quite a lot but I don't think kids well, young children, I don't think, really understand what a romantic relationship is. They understand the relationship they have with you as parents. But actually, in a good way, in some ways, I don't think kids actually care about your romantic relationship as parents. And so the fact that you you move out or you separate or even you just you know sleep in different rooms, it's kind of inconsequential to them. And so I thought it bit of a bit of an extension of that but yeah mum and dad are going to live in two houses but but it's okay you will see us both you can come and stay with me you can come and stay with mum and you'll live with us both and actually the way it is now where yeah they have two homes they have two very different lives but they have they very much those they is their life um but she was very sorry against that and it kind of was it was just used as a an emotional blackmail tool to be honest and so it was made into a much bigger deal and they were almost purposely made to be upset about it um which was quite hard i mean in fact i think the legacy of that lives on even now where there were times when she would refuse to let them stay with me on a weeknight so the kids were 
um, craving or begging to to stay longer at my house. Um, and she would, I mean, I actually lived closer to the school than she did, but she she refused. And, and of course, she, they have very logical, sensible, reasoned arguments. And so she would claim that, oh, it was disruptive to their routine. And so, you know, I would take them to school on a Monday morning, having only had them with me for two or three nights. And they the teachers would have to drag them off me at the school door then kicking and screaming. And I genuinely don't think, well, I don't think either of them have ever forgotten, but our youngest definitely hasn't forgotten that. Um, and that is totally unnecessary. There was no need for that. Yeah. I, unfortunately, the story that you just told, I've heard too many times and particularly mothers using the children um, as a weapon in divorce happens frequently. And I think a lot of it comes from the standpoint of they believe that the court's going to protect their parenting rights because of this perception that women, that women should have custody, particularly of younger children, because your, your kids were not infants, but they were young. Um, But yeah, yeah. But so you're you're in the United Kingdom. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about what did the court system sort of um, how did how did how did you go into the court system with this custody issue with your ex-wife, you know, trying to use your uh, kids as a weapon? And how did you experience the way the court looked at custody? Okay, so. I'll start with the UK legal system uh, recognises the mum and the dad as um, being equal, um, shared parental responsibility is what it's called here. Um, The slight bias comes towards women where women get parental responsibility by default. Men get it 95% by default, by being on the birth certificate. But there are, um, if, if a mother um, decides not to allow the father to be on the birth certificate, then you will have to apply to get parental responsibility of that child. So there's a little bit of a bias towards women, but, but it's not, it, in theory, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be that biased. There's a massive social bias. So, the term custody in the UK here doesn't exist anymore. It hasn't for years, although it's a term you will hear everybody use all the time. So it's called residency. And, and again, by default, kids have, have residency with both parents. <clears throat> so um, when we separated, I naively presumed that we would have a very very amicable <laughs> agreement where they would you know roughly share their time between us equally and we could, would continue to be the parents that I thought we were um, I was really wrong uh, and I think the first the first thing to say is and it's something that I bring up a lot is where um, whereas I understand the link between the number of nights children spend with parents and money because you both have to contribute financially to their welfare, um, because there is a link between the amount of time kids spend with each parent and money, it means the obvious happens, which is one parent or the other will attempt to skew that or abuse it for money if they are so inclined so there's loads of people that i mean you know not everybody does this but we all know that if you give somebody that's vengeful a tool they're going to use it as a weapon and and that's what happened so my ex refused 
to cooperate and made making child arrangements really, really difficult right up until we got actually divorced in court, which was two years after we separated. After, and her financial claim against me was premised on they don't spend, they only spend, you know, 11 nights a night with you and they spend 19 nights a night with me per month. Therefore, you have to give me this much money. And the system has a simple calculator here in the UK. You put in, you know, three nights a week, you put in your salary and it says you must pay the other parent this much. And that's what it was based on. And literally the day after we got divorced, she contacted me and sought to rearrange our, you know, <clears throat> time with them where we went equal. And actually they ended up spending a bit more time with me. Um, how I came to get go into the court system about the kids, because the court system very much like wants you and expects you to make child arrangements outside of the legal system because the legal system isn't a healthy one for children. And I can vouch for that having now been through it. So they, they expect you to make your, um, they expect you to be civil and grown up and sort it out between you. Unfortunately, as I'm sure your experience tells you that, you know, in these kind of proceedings, it's not, it doesn't really work like that. So uh, I was told that as soon as you sorted out the money, it would all become easier and she would stop being difficult. And, and to a certain extent, yeah, that was true. But it only lasted about six months until she decided she wanted to go live in another country and take them with her. And I said no. Um, and she then probably became even worse than she had been um, when we were getting divorced. Um, she made an application to court. Um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but she did a lot of lying. Um, and she actually, she's a very good liar, but she's got worse over the years. All the lies have just got bigger and she's probably forgotten the lies she's told. And so they start to stack up. And um, so we went, we ended up in a legal process where the court got involved and the court made certain orders about you mustn't talk to the children about it. They were still quite young then. Um, and and I, I think in my first appearance, I brought up that I knew the children were being put under pressure. And so the judge ordered that, you know, you mustn't talk to the kids about it. And the judge also ordered um, a social services report. So I don't know what, what, what system you would call that in the UK, but it's um, social services is like the... Um, I don't know, community social workers who investigate child matters. Okay. Um, I don't know what the equivalent in the States would be for that. So um, they they are ordered to kind of um, compile a detailed report and a recommendation on whether this application to take them to another country should be allowed or disallowed. Um, now, my ex lied to them quite badly um, and unfortunately for her got found out because I and, and it wasn't I didn't intentionally set out to flag it but the social worker sort of came to visit me and she sort of said oh she said this and I said well that's that's not quite true and, and the basis of her application was they only spent 10 nights a month with me and she'd been slowly reducing the amount of nights she would agree to to obviously make this case but she she gave the social services a spreadsheet that was absolutely false to a point where I was, she said, the social worker showed it to me and I was able to go through and say, well, that that's not true and I can prove it to you because I can show that here's a picture of the kids with me in my living room on that day when she says they were with her and that kind of thing. So she got found out 
and and she it got recommended that that her um, application be turned down and I counter applied for um, we call it a child arrangements order so I wanted to stop having to deal with her on a monthly basis to make child arrangements which is the perfect way to give a narcissist the tool with which to beat you whenever they feel like it so we apply I applied for a fixed pattern of days um, a very tight agreement about what we can you know what we're allowed to do what we're not allowed to do what we must discuss and agree on um, and it was, although even, sorry, her, her um, application was recommended to be refused. And also my application was supported by this, the sort of social services here. And so that's what we've got now. So now we have a very fixed type agreement um, that says we are 50-50 um, resident parents, shared care, completely equal, Um and that's yeah that, that was that has made life easier and um, that's not to say that she won't seek to break that order whenever she wants um not so much with the time that's been pretty good the kids have settled into a pattern and I you know I look back on it now and think why didn't I apply for this right back at the beginning because then we could have could have avoided two years of the, the kids being caught up in this ridiculous wrangling um so yeah now the kids have this fixed pattern they know where they're going to be and when and it's really been that's been the best thing we ever did or i ever did i guess that that i was about to ask you that question why why didn't this happen at the time of the divorce because uh it seems like it could have avoided a lot of these you could have done i didn't know what she was like so i applied for this uh um you know child arrangements order this this agreement because i then knew what she was I discovered she was an artist and I realized she was never going to cooperate but when I didn't know what she was she she just to everybody else on the outside world it just looks like uh, an angry jilted you know partner or wife or whatever that's just she's just angry with you and she'll get she'll once she gets what she wants which is the financial security or whatever she'll stop being difficult and she'll get bored of it she'll meet somebody else and she'll be out of your hair but for anybody that does know what a narcissist is or anybody that, you know, is with one will know that they, that never happens. You, you don't get that peace that you probably do with other people that are just angry and bitter and they let that go. They, narcissists will never let go of bitterness and hatred. They thrive on it. So, so yeah, I, I guess I listened to the advice I was being given at the time, which was lawyers saying she'll get over it, she'll get bored with, being difficult and it'll all go away um and to a certain extent they were right when it first happened but until she wanted to get at me again or she wanted something which was to go and live in another country and then all of a sudden the kids start being used again where did she want to move to <clears throat> oh well i would say only scotland scotland so about 500 miles away from where we live now yeah that's that's a pretty especially when you were having uh what'd you say about 11 overnights a month when you got divorced well, no, that- when she made that application, we were 50-50. Oh, okay. So, you know, we were doing... So it makes the school run quite difficult and it's 500 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would make it a quite difficult. Um, I like something that you said on one of your podcasts, uh, just going into the legal system itself mm-hmm. about men and women. Uh, you said that society supports independent women when they go through a divorce, becoming dependent 1950s housewives. Well, yeah, I mean... 
I, I just think I, I just think that's brilliant because it it is true. Obviously, we're generalizing. You know, not every man, not every woman is like this, but there are a lot of women who, you know, want to be very independent. But the second you go through a divorce, all of a sudden they need their soon-to-be ex-husband to support them. They need all of the support. They need to have the children home with them so that they can stay home and raise the kids. I agree with you a hundred percent. Did you actually experience that firsthand when you were going through the divorce oh. process? Yeah, totally. I mean, I know it's I know it's a sort of controversial thing to say, and there's plenty of <clears throat> people out there that don't behave like this. Um, and you know, I'm a complete. I'm totally up for proper equality. You know, especially raising two girls. And I think the first thing I would say is. Or the thing, one of the things I'm trying to teach my kids is you don't rely on anybody for anything apart from yourself. You go out, you pay your way, um, and you're independent. I don't ever want you to be trying to live off somebody else, especially just because you're pissed off with them. So, um, so yeah, so my, my experience was that it's, it's, you know, you want to be a strong, independent woman with my own money, and I want to be independent from you. Well, then why are you trying to get me to, to support you? And then you're claiming that you can only work, work part-time and you want to go on holiday three times a year to the Caribbean and you want the money for that. And you want to, it, it was, it was, it's really weird. It was like a reverse. It was like reversing, like, like I said, back into the 1950s where, you know, and I think, I think I've, I think I feel really pissed off at my ex. The most of this is that there are so many women right now that are still fighting for equality because we know it we know inequality still exists sadly and it's it's so much better now even than 10 years ago but there are women out there that are fighting for equality and fighting for you know equal pay and equal stature in in industry where where they feel that they haven't got it and there all these there are women out there that intentionally act weak and um uh you know trash their earnings and and set a really bad example in society full stop so what does that message does that send to children what message does that send out there when when you've got women that um intentionally under earn so they can then you know then then live off their ex-husbands i mean there are you know there are women out there that are desperately trying to have equality with men and there are women other women out there that are desperately trying to almost reverse that so they they rely on men and it, it seems at odds with with where we should the direction we should be going and i think it's not expected so to give you an example of that inequality there we were in court in our divorce court um admittedly i was the only male in the room and so I was taking parental leave to, so, so like um, maybe the odd week off here or there every other month. In fact, it was. It was a week off every other month. to um, So I could say the kids can come to me for that week and I definitely won't have to work. And, in, and she was working two and a half days a week claiming that she couldn't work anymore. And I was saying, well, 
if you agreed to 50-50, you could work more. And the female judge literally looked over the, the top of her half-moon glasses at me and criticised me for taking time off work and therefore earning less so I could spend time with my children when my ex-wife, or now ex-wife, was sat there claiming she could only work two and a half days a week because she needed to be there for the kids. And if that isn't inequality, I don't know what is, <laughs> or reverse inequality. And I, and I sort of say this a lot on my Instagram and, and in the podcast is equality means equality. It doesn't mean women having whatever they want. It means that everybody is entitled to earn the same, do the same job, um, have the same stature in society. And that has to be earned and maintained by everybody. Not just, it's, not just a, it's not just for women to pick and choose. It's for everybody to have. I, I could not agree with you more. Um, and you are right. I mean, there are a lot of people who behave very well. I mean, and there are a lot of situations where um, someone has been dependent during a marriage, but that was the choice the people made in the marriage. You know, for example, staying home and homeschooling a child, maybe. Um, so there are situations where that dependence was a decision in the marriage. And I don't really like it when people all of a sudden try to rewrite history that all of a sudden, you know, someone's just sitting around doing nothing. Now they're getting divorced when you allowed that to go on during the marriage. And that's one thing that um, I think a lot of men need to think about is if they're with, they're with married to somebody who is not earning what they could be earning, is sitting around and doing nothing. If you continue to stay married to them, knowing that they're doing that, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you if you stay married for 15, 20 years and all of a sudden you're getting divorced and you've got a very large financial support obligation because, you know, we all have to take responsibility for our actions to some degree, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but, and I also, I, I also wanted to just, because um, I, I, I'm with you, I like to be very balanced here. There are also a lot of men who, purposely try to get more time with their children to lessen the amount of child support. And then the second the divorce is over, they start giving up their time. It, it happens both ways. I know in this, yeah, this perspective, we're talking, of, we're talking about your ex-wife and what she did to you, but it's just, it happens all over the time and you've got to be, Absolutely. you know, but so I want to talk a little bit about your daughters. And, you know, yeah. you're, you're raising, I have a, I have a seven and a half year old daughter myself, I, you know, raising daughters as a man is very difficult because you see the way other men, you know, treat women. Um, and you kind of want to make sure that your, your daughters have all the tools they need to really have a good life and a fulfilling life and a happy life. So knowing what being married to a narcissistic person is like have you are you doing anything to try to help them understand the types of people they should not end up with when they decide they want to get yeah, married yeah absolutely 100 percent. i mean this is this is one of the things that led me to set up advocate was that i felt that um narcissist narcissism is little understood little really known about um, I think it's when it is known about often it's misunderstood and I think it's way too socially acceptable and so um, I really said that because I'm thinking well you know I think people need to why 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 is there no social education about this so 
if you everyone knows about domestic violence kids get educated at school about domestic violence and um coercive control now i think um and it's not okay for someone to hit you and it and they even i think get taught about gaslighting but why since narcissism is such a toxic personality disorder um it's a lot more common than people think and it's very um distinct patterned behavior it's not it's not a one-off and and you can have a narcissist you know, in your life and an artist in my life, and they will have the same behaviours and be completely different people. And so um, why is there no education about it? So that's one of the prime reasons I started Advocate and with my own daughters. Yeah, because not only do I not want them to end up in a um, emotionally, let alone physically abusive relationship as adults or an unhealthy, toxic one, I've actually also got to equip them with the ability to deal with their mother um so i am yeah i'm not i'm not trying to um turn them against their mother because i know there are a lot of people that's that say that if you have children with a narcissist you must try and keep them away from them you must minimize their exposure to them um, I kind of stopped short of that because I feel it would make me no worse than her. It would make me no better than her, sorry, if, if I did that. It's not my place to take them away from their mother. She is their mother. And unfortunately, I kind of feel that, that it is their, I don't know, uh, path or their destiny to, to have her in, her in their lives and they will discover what she's like and they will have to make a choice. And I'm sure if any of your listeners are children of narcissists, they will know that a lot of children, when they discover that's what their parents are, they make the decision, often in adulthood, to cut them off or to minimise their exposure to them. Yeah. If that's what they choose to do, if that's what they choose to do, then then you know that's the way it goes. But it is I am absolutely not going to do this big reveal and go, ha, ha, your mother is a narcissist, because <laughs> I think it's fundamentally wrong, and I, th- I think it, it, it's not my place to do that. And I think, in a way, um, that would be, I don't know, an ill motive to do that. So instead, I go down the road of trying to surreptitiously educate them. So they they can mimic her behaviour as well, because bear in mind to them, they don't know that it's they just it's an example. You know, you, as children, you learn from your parents. So I see her traits in their behaviour. Doesn't mean they're narcissists. It just means that um, they've they've seen that behaviour, or they've seen them. You know, their mother um, treat somebody like that, and so they 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 do it. So I, I go down the road of correcting it, not in a really authoritarian way because um, it, it, I don't want to jump on them for it, but I try and educate them that that's, it's trying to teach them empathy or reinforce the empathy that they have. And that's the one thing that narcissists don't have. They have absolutely no empathy. So it's, it's trying to teach that to them. And, and also I'm trying to, I don't have any worries about our youngest. She is very robust, strong-willed. I have no doubt about her ability to stand up to her mother, but, it's our eldest who who gets um, she is she has replaced me in the relationship. So she is the weaker minded one that my ex will manipulate and use and undermine her confidence to get what she wants from her. So I'm trying to reinforce and bolster her self-confidence and 
teach her to trust her instincts and it's all these things it's almost like without saying right we're going to talk about gaslighting um you talk about gaslighting um so you pick examples or you see it and you go did you see that that wasn't very nice was it what do you think about that and it's all that kind of slightly subliminal education um i'm actually looking at the moment with a with another somebody i follow on instagram or we follow each other about writing a children's book because I, I there is like i said there's no education in school so i kind of feel like i'd like a, a children's book written for children but not necessarily about narcissism you know listen children we're going to tell you about this personality disorder but just a book that educates children about because it, it doesn't really matter if people know what know the term narcissism and know the narcissist this or what you need to teach people is that these are unhealthy behaviors that you don't have to put up with and that's job done i don't ever need my kids to go oh mum that person might be a narcissist therefore i must avoid them it's just that person's not very nice i'm not going to go near them or i don't want to be in a relationship with this person so it's you need to teach people the coping mechanisms or not coping mechanisms but the the, the the way of avoiding it or the way of escaping it and what is unhealthy and what to avoid it doesn't really matter if they understand why they're avoiding this person or that they're avoiding them because they're a narcissist so um yeah for the kids it's it's about reinforcing healthy positive behaviors and um teaching them to avoid negative ones yeah, and your oldest daughter, um, if there's gaslighting going on, I, I would be really concerned about her self-esteem and how that's going to impact her yeah. self-esteem as she gets older. I mean, that's that's just going to set her up to be with the wrong kind of person when she's older. Absolutely. I think she's very predisposed to end up with um, with a, with somebody that's like her mum. So, yeah, with that, with that line, it's about just trying to re reinforce and reassure her and also she's a preteen. she's about to become a teenager she's got hormones you know running around so i think sometimes you also have to give give them a bit of a break and a bit of a benefit of the doubt so i try not to to overwhelm her with um you know it's there, there's also a little bit of the self-esteem things probably just about being a teenager as well so it's about trying to find the right balance and, and ways about reinforcing the positive stuff do you ever talk about your ex-wife with the kids? Uh, only in a positive, nice way, <laughs> much as it pains me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I I do genuinely, hand on heart, do nothing but try and positively reinforce um, their relationship with her. Um, I never, ever talk, you know, denigrate her, talk, talk badly about her. I never have. Um, because because she's done that to me and I think, it, you know, I've seen what it does to them. Kids know that they're 50%. They love their mum. Imagine if, you know, um, your, somebody comes up to you and says, I really hate your wife. How's that make you feel? You love your wife. You're going to feel really offended. So if you say to your children, your dad is an absolute fucking arsehole, you've just slagged their dad off to them or their mum. And so it, 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 there's no fruit there. So... Um, yeah, we talk. We, they 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 talk about her, and you ask nice, polite questions, and you inquire to how they are. And when they say, when when you hear about the madness, you kind of just smile and go, okay, yeah, fair enough. Or and you know, and also you don't capitalize on it. So there are times, as with all children, where they play each the parents off against each other. So 
I've had phone calls from them in tears because mum has shouted at them. And that's one thing that she was always a very angry, aggressive person. And yet there are times when she, they have rung me because she's clearly snapped at them and they don't like it. And it would be very easy for me to go jump in the car, drive over and rescue them. Um, And I, you know, I, instead I try and say, well, have you thought about, saying telling mum how you feel or maybe and there are times when also she has probably shouted at them it was probably warranted it's probably over the top so you sort of say well maybe go and say mum you're sorry that you broke the whatever um and you're trying to teach them those those coping mechanisms to deal with these people because we're all going to encounter you can't get away from the narcissist they're everywhere there's 20 or 30 percent of society are one so we are surrounded by them so you need to learn to deal with these people and to to kind of you know robustly and positively manage your your response to them so so i try and i try and uh yeah support their relationship with their mum and be positive about her um because i think it's morally wrong parents that slag or or, sorry you know (laughs) that that uh criticize and talk bad of the other parent yeah so you know in in this this discussion about co-parenting with her after divorce (laughs) what what happens at her house that you find out about when it comes to her talking about you all right well yeah you you become aware of the bad mouthing that goes on um you hear it little things slip out that you you hear little criticisms that when they're really, really young, you they don't realise there's a criticism. So you probably hear more when they're younger. So they will say, oh, mum said this. And you go, fucking cheeky bitch. But as they get older, they start to protect you or they realise that it was um, bad. They realise that it was really negative, so they just don't tell you. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's stuff like that that goes on. Um, I know there's criticism. You, you hear... The little things just slip out and and you just you just to be honest with you most of the time you just ignore it just just let it go you know you kind of laugh it off um yeah, you almost, yeah. you almost just can't believe good. you care enough to talk about it <laughs> yeah well and and fortunately you have a lot of time with the kids so uh you know if you had a lot less time that kind of constant bad mouthing would ha- probably have a bigger impact but they get to see you so yeah. often now um, and that's one of the reasons I, I tell all fathers, you know, listen, there's so many reasons why you should really try to get um, equal time with your kids. But most of it revolves around the fact that you want to be equally bonded. So if something does happen like that, um, there's an equilibrium going on um, so that the kids don't trust you know, what their mom is saying about you because they see you so much. They know that it's not true. Um, so. Yeah. And I, you know, you're getting close to teenage years. I mean, your, your oldest is, is a teenager and you're getting to that point where they're going to play one of you off the other anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's, yep. got, that's going to happen. Uh, have the, your kids ever been in therapy? Yeah, our eldest did. Um, and it was a really, it was a really positive thing. 
um, until the uh, spotlight was turned towards us as parents. And I, it was actually in the run-up to this application to go and live in Scotland. And um, she, it was all set up by her. Luckily, it was a very good therapist that she found who I think sussed what was going on and started to question the arrangements we were making. And I started to copy her in to the emails going between us about making child arrangements. And she very quickly then, but, but it's very, it's very, um, it's very surreptitious. So all of a sudden our eldest didn't want to go anymore, but only when they were with her she would go with me i would take her and she would go and so this is the grip that they get on your children and the control and so very soon she no longer wanted to go and that was that and she didn't go again which is really sad i think it did her a world of good but i think it would have done her a world of good to have continued and then our youngest actually asks to go to therapy when she was about eight or nine i mean how amazing is that a nine-year-old asking to go to therapy and she refused to um, agree. I, I approached a therapist. Well, the, the therapist that our eldest had gone to wouldn't see our youngest because um, she'd kind of had the history with our, with our eldest. So, but she recommended another one. And yeah, my ex absolutely point blank refused to let her go. Okay. Well, I mean, therapy is great for kids that are going through a divorce just to have yeah. somebody else for them to talk yeah. to. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, Moving away from your kids for a moment, I want to go back to when you got divorced. What was your aha moment? When when was it that you decided <laughs> I cannot be in this marriage any longer? Um, so go back to about two years pre pre separation. Uh, it's on my Instagram. I don't I don't hide it. I had a, a brief affair um, for one night, and so. <laughs> yeah, Court. Uh, I was miserable. I was so rock bottom mentally. Um, doesn't excuse what I did. Um, however, it started a chain of events that led to me leaving. Um, having been found out, I had a having been found out, I had a I was pushed into having a breakdown and I really do mean that. So she directed me into believing that I was having a breakdown and that's why I'd done it. And she would, and she forgave me and it was basically love bombing again, sort of. It was, it was getting me back under control and I was hook, line and sinker. And it was, yeah, it was great for a few months um, after that. And it was like we'd gone back in time. And it was it was almost like the reason I'd gone and had the affair no longer existed. And um, however, it very quickly wore off. And um, I kind of, I continued. We ended up, sorry, going to see a, a relationship therapist. But very quickly, she stopped going because she believed it was my problem my I was wrong for being unhappy um but I continued to go and that actually was what probably led me to realizing that I was actually um, a I was unhappy and b that um the relationship was wrong and I remember the therapist saying that when I went 
it was like a, a mother and child. I was very childlike. And, and I think that's very common with narcissists. They treat you like a child, very parent-child relationship. And the therapist led me genuinely to almost grow up. And I think I searched around and I think I tried every other avenue as to why our relationship was shit. So I would try, I looked at me, I looked at the way we were together, all kinds of different avenues. And I never got anywhere. And then I had this one eureka moment, probably about six months before I actually left, where I, I think I literally woke up and I was away with work and I thought, I'm done. It, I cannot I cannot do this anymore. Um, and, I, and I just don't want to do it anymore. And that was the eureka moment. And that was the moment which I stopped um self-sacrificing myself to try and please her and it that was the real moment of freedom which I realized and then after that you know it, I realized it was gonna be very difficult to leave her and so I sort of set about making my exit plan um, and actually set about simplifying our finances not to hide them but actually that it would make it easier when we did separate that she would be provided for I had no mal intent towards her I just wanted to be out um and uh so yeah that six months was kind of nice because I was no longer trying anymore and, and it, I felt so much better but she clocked she could obviously see in me a noticeable change which led to her challenging me and me saying that's it I'm out okay well I I, I music to my ears that you spent some time actually uh, preparing for divorce as opposed to just falling right into it because that's really important. So I want to end by asking you a question about signs that you were with a narcissist yeah. now that you're out of it. And obviously you're not a psychologist, right? Um, but, yeah. but now that you're in your own life, you can look back over your seven year um, relationship uh, before you separated and figure out um, what was it that I missed? So why don't you give us a couple things that now you, looking back at it, um, have seen clearly now that the, that the rain is gone? <laughs> uh, it's really difficult because obviously, you know, there are very healthy relationships that move quickly and you have great starts. Um, and so it's quite difficult to differentiate love bombing and this kind of fast paced narcissistic timeline with just a really great relationship. So I don't want to put anyone off getting into an absolutely great relationship, but probably there is not, there are things are too good to be true. So nobody is perfect. Um, so I think if you have no arguments at all, no little disagreements, um, in you know in your in your relationship then you know, it's probably it's a bit odd I mean I know there are plenty of people I'm sure so they don't have arguments and I you know I have a great relationship with my wife now but we do have arguments or disagreements and and that in a way really weirdly is a reassuring um so it's that then you if you feel like you are I don't know. I gave so much. I, I felt like I was going all out, but so was she. Um, and that, that really fast-paced 
um, fast-moving relationship. But I think, do you know what, actually think about it. One of the biggest red flags is that narcissists ghost, uh, they ghost people, but they go no contact. So if you disobey them or if you're not their supply, they will ditch you and completely have nothing to do with you. And I think the red flag I missed, because I didn't know it was a red flag, was the fact that my wife had a sequence of people in her life, my ex-wife, sorry, but a sequence of people in her life who she no longer spoke to at all were, were almost dead to her. And that absolute red flag right there. So when you hear about somebody's relationship history, I think when you have somebody where they were always the injured party, always the victim, never never to blame, and they now don't speak to that person ever again. And it's not just relationships romantic, it's people in their lives or jobs. So she, she has literally dumped and left romantic relationships, jobs. I hate that boss. I had to leave. That was the biggest red flag I missed. I hope that everyone that's listened to this can really uh, look at their own relationship and see if there are some red flags that may be the source of their unhappiness and the source of the conflict in their marriages because they're married to someone who's narcissist. Um, that's really, you know, obviously we're not mental health professionals. We can't diagnose somebody, but you can certainly look for red flags that can give you some uh, insight into what's going on in your own marriage. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Dadvocate. And if you want to learn more, listen to his podcast, learn more about narcissism and connect with him on social media, you can find him at Dadvocate, that's D-A-D-V-O-C-A-T-E dot C-O dot U-K. He's got a great source of information on there. I love his Instagram account. He posts a lot of great stuff on there. So thank you again for being here today. You're most welcome, John. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, go and subscribe so that you don't miss a moment of our content moving forward. For more information about Divorce Shield, head over to thedivorceshield.com. We'll see you next time.